Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us to that place today. What a powerful thing to be able to declare those words together. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. What an amazing song to be able to sing together. Well, as we turn to God's word together today, let's open our Bibles to, yes, big kids. Grade four, five, six, head back to your program today. Uh, they were already gone. They know what they're doing. Uh, let's open our Bible to Psalm 119 this morning as we kind of set the stage and set the tone of where we're going to be walking together today. Psalm 119 is a, an amazing psalm. It is walks through, it's, it's uh, an acrostic poem in a sense. And it walks through, uh, we don't read Hebrew, so we don't get it, but they do, uh, the people that read it originally did. And so it kind of walks through the Hebrew alphabet one letter at a time, and each section, every line starts with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, so learn Hebrew, and then you can read this stuff, and it's, it's really cool to see it. Um, but we'll read it in English this morning, we'll give that a try. Psalm 119, and we'll start in verse 9, and uh, we're going to read this bait section. Hebrew. Seminary. I did it. Uh, Psalm 119, starting in verse 9, says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do you rejoice in God's word as one rejoices in great riches? Do we meditate on it and consider the ways of God? Do we delight in what he has decreed that we can walk in a path of righteousness? God has given us his word that we can know our own creator. Amen. Well, last week we had the very special privilege of hearing from our TJ team the testimony of how the Spirit of God is moving in this church here and in Mexico and the people there as we knit our hearts together with the believers there, building the kingdom together and building a home for a family that He has created and that He loves so much, sharing in the joy of the hope of the gospel alive in us and moving across the world. It's a powerful thing that we do here together and as we go on these journeys and serve in our community. It's a powerful thing that God is doing among us and it's easy for all of this to start to feel normal. We can lose sight of how significant these things are. I was talking with the worship team this morning as we were praying together before the service, and we kind of talked through just the different pieces of the service that we can be organized, and I said, today is a reasonably normal Sunday, as normal as it can possibly be to gather to worship the creator of the universe. The Spirit of God is alive, and He's bringing 
real transformation, and He's inviting us, inviting you to be a part of that. Isn't that exciting? And so we thank the team for sharing their journey with us and being vulnerable and sharing how God was speaking to them as we all walk together on this mission. But as we continue today, we carry on in our new theme for this year, the Word. Taking the next step on this journey, exploring the sacred that we started last year, the presence of God alive in the world and in each of us, seeing the mission He has for us is to bring His, His presence and His gospel and His kingdom into the world and into the lives of the people around us, and now rooting that mission in the truth and the power and the beauty of the Word. Scripture is the foundation of our understanding of God's truth and nature. Here at, at LFC, we have six values that we hold. And we had posters on the wall of the sanctuary here until we uh, painted the sanctuary this summer recently and we're redesigning them. We're going to get them put back up there. But we want to be surrounded and reminded of these values that we hold as a church. And one of those values is direction. Expressing the importance of Scripture in our understanding of, of who God is and our desire to follow Him. And that value says this. It says, we believe that God has revealed Himself to us in the inspired words of the Scriptures. The 66 books of the canon of Scripture are the ultimate doctrinal authority in all matters. It is this book that we must study intently and apply appropriately to our lives. There's obviously so much more that we could say about Scripture, but this is the starting point, recognizing the authority of Scripture over our understanding and instincts and nature, submitting to God's ways over our ways. As it says in Isaiah 55, our theme passage for this journey, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's word is life, and his ways are right. And we desire to be a people submitted to His Word, led by the Spirit, walking together intimately with Him and inviting others to journey with us as He reveals Himself in the world. God is good. And His Word is good. And that's what we want to understand this year as we seek to see the Word ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus. The Word made flesh. His power and nature and the redemption born in His life and sacrifice for us. I'm excited. I'm excited for this journey this year. It's going to be amazing as we explore scripture together in different ways. It's going to take lots of different forms. There's different pieces that we need to understand about scripture, about what God has given to us. And the most important part of this journey 
as much as the things we do here in this room right now are important and good and fun, is your commitment to be in the Word. We each need to be in the Word every day, reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, marinating in it. Letting it soak into every fiber of our being and every corner of our hearts, shaping and molding and changing us into the image of Jesus. And then coming together to share that work, to share that journey, to be encouraged together, to be challenged together, to be sharpened and honed and to worship and be filled with joy together as the work that God is doing in each of us is shared with one another in relationship and worship and fellowship. So that's for each of us to be doing. But here that together this fall, when we're gathered together, we're going to begin by exploring the different parts of the Word, particularly starting in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We hold the Bible as one book, all together, And it is, its message is consistent. The picture it paints for us of who God is, is the same from beginning to the end. It is tied together and references itself and works together and speaks the same truth all throughout. But it's also not one individual book. It is 66 individual books, 39 in the Old Testament 27 in the New Testament, written by many, many different people over a period of more than 1,500 years. It's the power of the Spirit of God moving and inspiring the hearts and minds of those authors to record the things that God desires us to have that speak to His power and His nature, His purpose and His plan, revealing to us the things that He desires us to know, that we can have relationship with Him, our Creator, the author of life itself. The Spirit guided their hands as they wrote these things and guided His people as we gathered them together and seeing that which was true and rejecting that which would lead us astray. God has given us His Word that we can know Him. One of the most incredible parts to me is that Scripture then is not just a textbook telling us about God. It is alive. It is God Himself speaking to us. Hebrews chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped For every good work, all Scripture is God-breathed. What a powerful way to describe this book, these words. It's so personal, so close and relational, so purposeful. That is how God sees His Word and how He desires us to see it too. 
But within these pages, God has revealed himself in lots of different ways, and we can't approach the whole book the same way. That deeper part does flow through all of this. Who is God? But the ways he's chosen to reveal himself, the words he has breathed to life, are spoken in different ways. In these pages are history. There is teaching and law. There is prophecy. There's poetry and worship. There's lament. Each special and unique, different ways that people were expressing their relationship with God and the understanding of who He is as He guided their hand and revealed Himself to us. And in each of these different ways, God reveals different parts of Himself. And while again, that message is consistent, we cannot approach all of these pieces in the same way. We cannot read history the same way we read a poem. And God doesn't speak in prophecy the same way He speaks in law. So we must, in each of these places, we have to submit and allow Him to reveal Himself as He desires to do. And be careful not to impose our own will, our own understanding, our own agenda on the words that He's given to us in each of these different places. It's not easy. That is the work of studying Scripture. And that is the importance of studying together. We don't get led off in health, unhealthy or selfish direction, twisting Scripture to our own preferences and ideas that we can share and sharpen and correct one another as we study Scripture together, allowing God to speak to all of us and leading us to truth as He reveals it. And so we're going to be looking at these different pieces this year and trying to understand the important things about them, why God has chosen to reveal Himself in these different ways and the things we need to do as we approach them how they all work together to paint a more complete picture of who God is. And as is, of course, going to be the case, this is just going to be but the barest overview. There's too much here for us to do all in a few months. But we're trying to set the stage. We want to begin to try to see the things that God is doing in His Word and apply these things that we learn together to the other parts as we read it. We can explore it more fully. We can see Him more clearly and we can be led in the directions that He desires us to go. And so we're going to begin our study over the next couple of weeks with histories. The things that God has told us about the things that He has done. And as we do that, we're going to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 22. One of my absolute favorite stories in the whole Bible. It is crazy. Buckle up. And this might seem like a little bit of an unusual place to start for history. But there's a lot that God is doing in this story that is important for us to see. There's so much going on as we seek to understand the history that God has recorded for us. And what He wants us to understand of Himself as we walk in relationship with Him. Turn with me, Genesis chapter 22. 
And we're going to read uh, pretty much the whole chapter here, up to verse 18. The story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, it's reasonable, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. The two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood and the fire are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. What an incredible story. Strange story. It's a story that is so foreign to our ability to understand. Our understanding 
of the world, even our experience of who God is, what are we supposed to make of this story? Why is it here? What is God doing? Why is this recorded? Is this not cruel? To force a father to walk through this and then seemingly just turn it around like it was a prank. Just kidding. What kind of God is this? But as we understand this story, its impact is gigantic. In Abraham's life and even in our relationship with God today. Because the first thing that we see in this story is that for all of Abraham's journey with God over many, many chapters already to this point, God calling him to leave his homeland, to journey to this faraway place, the promise of a son and heir, even when he and his wife were long past the age to have children. And then Abraham taking things into his own hands and having a son with one of his servants trying to help God's plan along. And the disaster that came out of that. And finally, after years and years, God's promise coming to life with the birth of his son Isaac. Now here, God, after all of that, and this one hope for the fulfillment of this promise of God that Abraham's offspring would number the stars of the sky. God calls him here to sacrifice him, an act that would end that promise and cut off this family line. And Abraham doesn't really hesitate. Why? His faith, certainly, but also because That's just how the gods he knew worked. Abraham and all of these people in Scripture, in these histories that God has recorded for us, lived in the world for real. They ate and drank and slept and worked. They got sick and they got tired. They fought and they laughed. They lived in communities and they were surrounded by people and language and culture and religion. They were real people and they lived with real people. And in Abraham's world, the gods demanded blood. And usually, the blood of children. And so Abraham understands what God is asking, or at least thinks he does, because he has seen it. It makes sense. And while there's no doubt he was heartbroken, in great distress in this story, we don't see much hesitation because he knows what gods are like. He has seen it. And so Abraham follows. This God has spoken to him. Abraham has seen this God work over many years already, and so he must obey, and he takes his son to sacrifice him because that's just how gods work. That's what they demand. But God was doing something else. He saw Abraham's heart of submission, that he would obey, that he trusted God somehow, 
even in this. But God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His understanding is higher than ours. And he wanted to reveal something about himself. About who he is. About what he is like. The gods of Abraham's world were Moloch and Dagon. Baal and Asherah. And it carried on long after Abraham's time, even into relatively recent history. Gods of the Aztecs and the Mayans and all through Africa and Asia, bloodthirsty, vicious, destructive beings. Human sacrifice was a part of worshiping them all. And Abraham had seen that firsthand with his own eyes. And he knew that. He had heard the screams and the cries in the temples in Ur and Babylon, the city of his youth where he grew up. And here at the beginning of the story of his people, the God of the Israelites is here to declare, I am not like that. I am not like these other gods. And even more deeply, I am not what you think I am. Genesis 22 verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and there arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. We have to pay attention as we read these stories, these histories, because notice this. God didn't tell Abraham what to do. To build an altar like so and arrange the wood this way and place his son like that and take the knife like this, Abraham already knew because he had seen it. He knew how to do it because this is what gods are like. This is what is required to please them. But our God is not like that. Our God does not demand our sacrifice. He provides it. Our God does not require us to earn His love and acceptance. He reaches out to us. Our God does not wait for us to be worthy. He sent His Son to us. And the blood that is shed to cleanse our sins is not ours, but His. He is not like the gods of this world. He is not like the gods Abraham knew, and he is often not like the God we treat him to be. 
The histories recorded in here are not meant to just tell us what happened. They are meant to describe and reveal to us who God is and what He is like. And then how He is inviting us to know Him and walk with Him. That is what we must seek to understand in these histories. His nature, His purpose, and then His call and His plan for you. His desire for relationship with you and the life He wants you to know if you will trust Him like Abraham did. Because we still act like Abraham. Every day, all the time. Fortunately, we don't sacrifice our children as much. But our journey with God is a constant battle against our instinct to earn His love, to earn our acceptance, to prove ourselves to Him. We do it in a thousand, thousand big and small ways every day. And in this story, this piece of history that God has recorded for us, He is telling us that we can't. That it's His work, not ours. And our place is to submit and obey, to believe and to trust, to receive His grace, the grace of Jesus covering our sin and making us whole. The histories are the story of God's journey with people. Every story in here is a story of relationship. Genesis and Exodus, Joshua and Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, books and books of history, of the stories of what God has done, of how He has walked with people, what He has tried to show them of His nature and His love and His plan so that we can see and learn and understand who He is and then finally understand who we are because of Him. God wants you to know Him, to reveal Himself to you in the pages of history, His story, in the lives of people. He's calling you to Himself in the pages of this book if you will meet Him there. Do you hear Him? Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us. The ways that you try to break our selfish and insecure understanding and the horrific things that have come out of that. As we try to control our lives and control the world and create whole systems and even sacrifice our own children trying to appease something, to earn favor, to take your place. But God, you have provided. It is your sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, not ours, that cleanses our sin. It is the robe that you give us of new life, white as snow, making us righteous in his name's sake, not our own efforts. So God, we come to stories like this and we bow at your feet and God, we say, forgive us. 
for all the places and all the times we try to do it on our own, try to earn your favor. God, we submit, we receive, we trust that your promise is enough, that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it, and it was good enough. Help us to walk in that freedom and hope and life and to spread the hope and joy of that gospel, the good news that Jesus is enough. We thank you for the faith of Abraham, that through him and through his line, you brought the redemption that saves the whole world, bringing transformation if we will obey. And we ask as we walk in these things together that you will fill us with a hunger for your word and that as we read these stories, we will see what you are trying to tell us about who you are. And we can follow you more closely in Jesus' name. Amen.